Well, we're blessed today to have with us uh, represent from Rudy's Pantry. One of the exciting things that's taking place in the ministry here at Bethel Covenant Church is the beginning of a partnership with Rudy, Ruby's Pantry, helping those in need by working with them to distribute food. And so Lynn Sarr is going to come and share with us about Ruby's Pantry, and uh, we can learn a lot about it. Lynn, thanks for being here. Oh, now I get to see everybody. That's good. That's good. Well, I have got some wonderful news for you today that you will be excited because you'll remember it the rest of your life. That may seem strange, but it's true. For what I'm going to say is a startling story about Ruby's Pantry. First of all, we're starting our 20th year in May. We're not rookies anymore. We started out Ruby's Pantry just by accident, if you will. A little bit about the background of Ruby's Pantry to start out this morning. I started uh, Ruby's Pantry in May, be 20 years ago this year, unbelievable, unbelievable. We start our 20th year. We started Ruby's Pantry just by a mistake. I had pastored for 25 years, just doing my own thing, pastoring churches, Moving along, we did missions work in Mexico as well. So we had teams that went to Monterey, Mexico, and we worked with about 165 churches down there. And we did services, and we did street ministry, and we had kids that came out. Sometimes we had as many as 500 kids out in the streets. And we had youth groups in that went down and so forth. It was a wonderful ministry. And we got toys from three different organizations in Minneapolis, little toys that we would put in big suitcases and haul down back on the airplanes back in those days. You could take two big bags, no problem. And we hauled them down and we'd take, fill one full of toys and the other one about two-thirds full of toys and then the clothes at the top that we wore. And that's how we functioned. And we left the suitcases down there and we gave away all the toys. And it was just a fun, fun thing that we did. And God really worked and used it very well. The interesting thing took place is one day, one of the leaders from one of those three organizations called me and said, you know, we, we pay $500 a year each of these three organizations to Hope for the City, which was an organization in Minneapolis, and we pick up stuff, but all we ever get is things that we give to you guys. And so we want you guys to go over there and pay your $500 and get your own stuff. And so I agreed that was a good idea. So we started out filling out all the application papers, and we had to become a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, which we did. It took us seven months to get it all put together. And we finally went down to pick up our first batch of toys and hard lines, whatever we would get. And I'll never forget, we drove in. We brought a pickup truck down there, and there were trucks and trailers and cars, about 20 different organizations lined up ahead of us. And we would move up when they filled one vehicle or truck. We moved up one and moved up and moved up and moved up. And we finally got to the loading dock and we backed the pickup in. And to our amazement, they filled our pickup full of food. We were in shock. No one ever told us they had food. We had no clue. We had no knowledge at all of anything. We were just stunned. But we just didn't say anything because, you know, we're embarrassed because we're so stupid, you know. 
and we just uh, stood there. We put the food in the truck and uh, left. As soon as we left the parking lot, we started to laugh because to us, this was the biggest joke we had ever seen. And we laughed and we laughed and we laughed. And we lived about an hour away from there and we laughed the whole time until we got home. It was incredible that this could happen. How could we be so foolish not to know this? No one said anything. And then we thought, well, we'll get toys next week because we could go down every Friday. And so we just uh, went back and then we had to get rid of the food though. I mean, the pickup was stacked like crazy. And so I called a realtor that I knew, her name was Wendy. And I said, Wendy, we got a problem. We got a bunch of food we need to get rid of. Do you know anybody that needs food? And she said, as a matter of fact, I do know somebody that needs food. And she came and picked up a couple big boxes of food that we had put together for her. And she brought it out to a young couple's house. They were not poverty-stricken type people. They were a young couple that had a small child, little guy, and the husband was a Division I football player that was no longer in college now, didn't make it to the pros, and he had a job that he lost. His wife was just an amazing young woman, a beautiful young girl, and their world had just totally caved in. They lived in a nice house, but probably in foreclosure. And Wendy went up to the door and she carried these two big boxes and put it on the steps. And she went up and knocked on the door. And the young mother came to the door and she saw the groceries and she burst into tears. And she stepped out and she wrapped her arms around Wendy. And Wendy also started to cry. And they stood on the steps weeping together because God did something special for them. And then after they got the food in and Wendy left and she got back to town and she called me and said, this is the most emotional experience I have ever had. Now I'm an idiot because as a pastor all those years, we didn't do much of that. We sent everybody to the Salvation Army and you know, we just wasn't part of our ministry. There's a lot of churches like that. I could go on for hours, but the fact is there's a struggle. And so that's how we started Ruby's Pantry. We went back down the next week and they filled our pickup full of food again. And the next week, and the next week, and the next week. The fifth week I thought, I don't know what we're gonna do. We keep giving away all this food and now we got people lined up trying to get it. I mean, it was, it was bizarre. We had never seen anything like it. And then the fifth week a guy came up to me and we were giving away food. And he said, what do you call this thing? It's got to have a name. And I answered in about five seconds, and I said, oh, I guess we'll call it Ruby's Pantry. You see, Ruby was my grandmother. And I lived with my grandmother and my grandfather until I was seven. And that's how we started Ruby's Pantry. And all the years we started, we always thought we needed a better name than Ruby's Pantry. And about five years ago or so, I was having lunch with Londa Lundstrom. Does anybody remember the Lundstroms? The Lundstroms are tremendous people. Londa's a good friend, her and her husband, Brent. And we were having lunch and she said to me, she said, you don't get it, do you? And I said, well, I'm not sure I know what you're talking about. What don't I get? She said, you don't know why the name Ruby's 
is so popular. And I'm, in, I'm dense, you know, with some of these things because you don't always think of them. And I said, no, I guess I don't. She said, let me tell you why. It's because Ruby is everybody's grandma. That's the way it is. And the name Ruby's Pantry touches people's lives in an unbelievable godly way. And we have many people who are naming their children Ruby today. It's unbelievable what God has done. God has been a big part of who we are. We have refused to be secular as they tried to get us to do when we started. I remember being told by multiple people, you have to be secular, you'll never get any food as a religious organization. Last year we handled 26 million pounds of food. Unbelievable. 26 million pounds. We served about 250,000 families last year. That's a lot of people, it's a lot of food, and it's a lot of God, because that's who God is. Someone said, well, what do you think the reason is that you're able to do this? And I said, because helping people with food is something that's very special and near God's heart. We have never, ever, ever doubted how this happens because God has played a major role in everything we've ever done. You know, we've, we've and I could go for hours with this today, but let me just tell you a couple little things and then move on to some other fundamentals. But, you know, when we first started out, we just had one distribution, and that was our own at our warehouse because we didn't know what to do. And an elderly guy said, well, let's do a distribution. Well, I didn't know, you know. So we had a distribution scheduled, and we had 54, fam 54 people show up for food. Excuse me, the first time was 14. I'm daydreaming up here. The first time, we had planned for 300, and we had 14 show up. It was pretty disappointing. I remember thinking to myself, well, you know, we probably will have to just quit because this isn't going to work. The next month we had 56, I think it was, and then it went on. In the fourth month we had 300 families there. It was unbelievable. And we just went on and on and on. And we had a couple of places that wanted us to help them, which we did, but they were getting food someplace else. But the supply was terrible and we helped them with some additional food that we had. And one day they called, one of them called and said, we just got knocked out of our other deal. We need you to do the distribution for us. And the other organization called too and we set them up. Sometimes you do foolish things, you know. We set them up for the same day. Now, why would we do that? I don't know. But we set them up for the same day. It was a Saturday. And on Friday morning, the day before the distribution, we did not have so much as a loaf of bread in the warehouse. Nothing absolutely nothing in our warehouse. I went in on Friday morning and I called every single company person that we knew that had given us food before to try to find some food for those distributions. And everyone said no. Every single one. We had no food and no responses. It was 10 o'clock in the morning, and we were all done. 
And I walked from our offices back to the warehouse and I stood in the warehouse and I said, God, you've got a big problem. This is not my problem. This was not my idea. Never once did I think of anything like this. This was your idea. This is your problem and you have not provided the food. So tomorrow I'm going to have to go to both of these sites and explain to each group that you did not provide. End of conversation. I walked back into the office and about 20 minutes later the phone rang and somebody called <clears throat> and said, you know, we did find some food. Can you come and get it today? Oh yeah, we can do that. And a few minutes later somebody else called. A few minutes later after that somebody else called. And they called and they called and they called and called food till eight o'clock that night. And we had more food than we knew what to do with. And we had plenty for both distributions. That's who God is. And we've never turned our backs on the fact that God is the one that makes this happen. And that's why we only work with churches. And we do our distributions through churches. Every one of them. In June, I think we'll have 95 distributions going on. That's a lot of distributions. It takes a lot of food, but God does it in his own way. One of the things about Ruby's Pantry, it is well received by everyone because you will get good food to hand out. It's tremendous. We have been $20 for years. We asked for a $20 donation. 96% of the people or someone in the church or somebody someplace gives the $20. 4% of the people we get nothing for. It doesn't sound like much, but when you take 250,000 times 4%, it's a pretty good hunk of change. Recently, we increased it to $22 because the costs and everything have just went through the roof. Now we're seeing fuel prices go up considerably. Last year we spent, I think the number was $440,000 on diesel fuel. This year, it could be 600000 So, an interesting thing, we have a really good board, small board, five people. We have always agreed on everything. And when I went to the board and said, I think we need to go to $25, one of our board members said, oh, no, we can't do that. We talked about it for a couple of months. Finally, I said, let me send you some documents to show why we need this. And I did that. So he agreed to go up to $22. Well, now we're probably going to have to go to $25. So, but that's okay. It's still cheap because the people get $150, sometimes $200 or more dollars worth of groceries. It's a wonderful thing for them. It's a wonderful thing. The other thing is that sometimes people think we ought to just give the food. You know, we did that when we started. But number one, the organization starves to death if you do that because we have provided a method for us to operate. And that's where that money goes. 10% of the money stays in the local church. And we use it, we ask that you use it for benevolence. If somebody needs gas money or groceries or something that you can help somebody with in or out of your church, that's what it's for. Because when you take a benevolence offering, and I don't know how you do here, but most churches don't hardly take in anything. 
20, 30 dollars, 40 dollars. What can you do with 20 or 30 dollars? If you get 10% of $5,000, that's 500 bucks. Now you've got something to work with. And that's what we do. We tie the money back to the church and then it's handled by however you have it set up, you've got somebody that does it. It's a wonderful, wonderful experience. Ruby's Pantry has been a gift to the church and we serve the church. When people come, they come with hungry hearts, not just hungry stomachs. And the church has opportunity to minister to them and to encourage them and give them help and hope. You know, you can live for days without food, but you can't live a second without hope. And hope is what we bring. That's the big gift that Ruby's brings to people. Because to be honest with you, most people are not helping anybody anymore. We live in a self-preserved world where we take care of ourselves and that's it. We look at the neighbors that are struggling, but we don't do anything. When I was a small child at Christmas time one year, Ruby, my grandmother of course, started putting together a box of groceries and she went out and killed a chicken because we had chickens on the farm. And by the way, they were very poor. This was not a productive farm. She went out and killed a chicken, butchered it, brought it in. I don't know if she wrapped it or not. Back in those days, you just did it. And she had canned goods and so forth, had a nice big box. She brought it down to the neighbors whose husband was in the service. They had five children. And she brought it down there for their Christmas dinner. And that's what she did because that's who she was. Ruby's Pantry's been going on for a long time, just not as organized as we are today. God's been really good to us. I don't want to take up any more of your time because I could just go for hours. Does anybody have any questions that you would like to ask? I can answer those. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. Let's... let's. We appreciate what you guys are doing and that we can partner with you. Let's, let's pray for Ruby's Pantry, for the ministry, and for the ministry here at, at Bethel Covenant. Father God, we thank you for how you have worked to bring into existence Ruby's Pantry and how, Lord, through the stories, we've seen how you are the one who built it, established it, built it, and sustains it, and moves it forward by your grace and mercy. Lord, bless Lynn and the leadership as they lead forth, Lord. And we ask that the ministry here that gets started in April would be useful for Pierce County and the surrounding area. And Father, we would have a chance as a church to connect with people. Lord, to give them food, a cup of cold water, as the scriptures say, but also be able to connect with them with the good news of Jesus Christ. So we lift this up before you, Lord. Use it for your glory, for the blessing of your people, and the furtherance and building of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Well, at this time, as we uh, talk about our offering and... Uh, as we say, there's multiple ways we can give them to the Lord. There's an offering box on the way to church. We can mail it in, mail your check in, or you can pay online. Convenient way to do it, to give and support the work of Christ. 
this is the body of Christ, and we are in it together, so we give as the Lord has given us generously to the work of the Lord. Praise be to his name. The kids, if they can be dismissed to the back to Children's Church, if they haven't gone already. So that's going on. And then as we do this, we're going to look at 2 Timothy, where we're studying today. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to read a few verses. Starting at verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. Nope, I'm in the wrong chapter. I'd probably get it right here. Verse 3. Join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not changed. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may, too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Father, we ask that you would speak your truth into our hearts this day through your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have revealed to us your mind, your heart. Lord, help us to receive it and understand and be transformed by it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our world, there's good news and bad news. We've heard a lot of bad news this week. But sometimes, even the bad news, there can be a good sign. There was a gallery owner, and uh, he had some paintings. And the artists were trying to sell their paintings. And the artist came in and said, I hear you have some good news. The good news is a man came in here today asking if the price of your paintings would go up after you die. When I told him that he, they would, he bought them all. And he says, well, that's great. What's the bad news? The man was your doctor. The good news is your women's softball team finally won a game after a long losing streak. The bad news is they beat your men's team. Good news is church attendance is up. The bad news is the pastor has been on vacation the last weeks. So good news and bad news. Who doesn't like good news? We all like good news. We'd rather not hear the bad news with what's going on this week. You know, how many of us have turned on the TV to watch what's taking place in Ukraine and keeping up on it? And we, we want to keep informed, but there comes a point you go, okay, I have to turn it off. I can only take so much bad news. We live in a world that has rebelled from God. There's good news and there's bad news. Good news that Jesus is Lord, but bad news that the world has rebelled from him. But we have the good news of what Christ has done. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't live with our heads in the sand or our thoughts floating in the clouds alone. We are to be people who live in the midst of the reality of this life with the good and the bad as followers of Christ, knowing that we have a God who is greater than all things. And the Apostle Paul is sharing with his mentee Timothy, this young man in the faith, to help him grow deep in Christ. And Paul is trying to help Timothy understand all these parts of the Christian faith so he can go on with the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And as part of that message, we find that suffering is an aspect of the Christian faith. Remember we talked last week, in chapter 1, we said that the gospel was the supreme deposit. In other words, it is the best news. And the gospel means, what did we say it means? Good news, right? Remember we said last week, so we're going to do it again, because when you get through Timothy, remember, the gospel means good news. That's right. The good news of Jesus Christ, of who he is, what he's done, what he's promised to us, his death, his resurrection, his return for us. Praise be to his name. And as we understand that good news, we have context for the bad news that the world offers us so often. Paul's passing the gospel on to Timothy so that Timothy can understand what's fully what's taking place and how God's at work. And accepting the reality of the good and the bad in our world helps us face the suffering, the trials, the difficulties, the pains of this world because we can trust and depend on God. Hardships and sufferings are part of life. They're part of the Christian's life. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, God doesn't automatically remove the sufferings, the heartaches, the troubles of our lives. We, we would kind of like that, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be great? But we, what do we have? The Lord saying that is what heaven will be, what eternal life will be for us. But until that time, we have good and we have struggle in life. And Paul's writing to Timothy so Timothy can develop this and understand this in his life as well. That's the message for us. For all of us will endure hardships. And for us to realize that the gospel message is not something we master. Like, oh yeah, I know everything about it. I'm an expert in it. The gospel is never mastered. But well, you know what it is? The gospel is to master us. In other words, the good news of Jesus Christ is to take hold of our lives, our hearts, change, transform, modify how we live. To change us into people who are pleasing to God and live joy-filled life even in the midst of of the struggles and the hardships of life. So we can endure any and all hardships for Christ our Lord, as Jesus has done. For the good news of the gospel changes separation, separation from God to reconciliation, where we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Our destination is in separation, hell. But now, praise God, through Jesus, faith in him, it's reconciliation being joined with him in heaven forever. This is the work of Christ. That's why this is the supreme deposit, the greatest news the world has ever hear, heard because of what Christ has done. So chapter one, building the foundation, that good news, that great deposit. Now we see even in difficult times, we can hold on to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ because of his person, his life, his death, his resurrection, his promises to us. Well, let's look first at the experience of the gospel. Paul lays it out for Timothy in, in the whole of, of 2 Timothy, here in chapter 1, chapter 2, that we're looking at today, as well as going on. In the first chapter, verse 8, he says, Join with me in the suffering of the for the gospel with the power of God. Paul says and describes, and as we've seen Paul's life, he has suffered much for the gospel because of the good news of Christ. In this verse, Chapter 1, 11 and 12 says, And of this gospel I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am. And into chapter 3, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that in the faith, especially for him, as the 
apostle to the Gentiles, the one who God's using to build the church into the Gentile community. Paul faced tremendous opposition and those who were against him. And in the midst of that, like a good soldier of Jesus Christ, he had to endure suffering. And so he says, that's part of the faith, the journey of faith, and join with me or endure hardships when they come your way. Don't give up. Don't say, no, no, this isn't part of it. Sufferings and hardships are part of what we'll face as followers of Christ. The self-denials we require as followers, the challenges associated with knowing Christ, it's part of the life of faith. And strength is required for this life. And Paul's passing this message, this truth, on to Timothy and on to us. As he passes it on to Timothy, he's speaking to you and to me. The, when the persecution arises, Paul says, what in verse 15 of the first chapter says, people deserted him. That people said, no, I don't want to experience it, I left. But Christians who desert don't understand the truth of the gospel and the power of God's message. That hardship will come, endurance is needed, so that we don't back away, fall, or give up. Timothy, who was more timid, needed that encouragement for the gospel, that great deposit of extreme value, that he is to go on in it. So what does Paul say here in the second chapter? Starting at verse 3. He says, suffer with me like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He uses several analogies so that we can understand what he's talking about. The first one he gives to illustrate his teaching is that of a soldier. If you're a soldier, and we th see what's going on in the Ukraine, the Ukrainian soldiers, do you think they have to be disciplined? They have to be dedicated to press on and to fight a superior army of the, of the Russians coming in? Military units without endurance. What happens? They, whoa, 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 I, signed, I didn't sign up when the bulls fly and people started running away. How good of military unit would that be? They would be horrible. When the bullets fly, when times get tough, the military unit has to stick together, know their training, and go forward. And Paul is using that when Satan and the adversaries of Christ come against the church. The church can't just run away. We have to stay strong in Jesus Christ. And in, sometimes that means endure suffering and hardships. For followers of Christ, we are to be those who might have to endure those sufferings like a soldier. Well, then he talks about an athlete. In verse 5, an athlete, someone who follows the rules, right? Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The Olympics, they were just completed. They have testing. If you take performance-enhancing substances, drugs or whatever, you're tested. If you find those things, you're stripped of your, your competition. You won't receive the, the gold or silver or bronze medal because you have to compete according to the rules. That's what it says with the athlete. If you're playing basketball, you can't, in a game, say, you know what, if I just pick up the ball and run like it's a football, I can get to the basket faster. Well, that may be true, but that's not the rules of the game. They're not going to let you do that. For us, it's following the teaching, the guidelines that the Lord has given us for how we are to live, even in the challenges of life. That's part of what we embrace in faith when we put our trust and faith in Jesus, knowing that the Spirit of God is with us. And when we do that and press on and follow those rules, God will reward us with the victor's crown when he calls us home to heaven. 
That's what he says. He's telling Timothy, he's telling us. So like that. But also like a farmer. A farmer. A farmer is someone who does what? Works hard. You know, when you're working those, when Tim's working those dairy cows, he's out there every morning working hard. You know, there's hard work. And without working hard, you're not going to have what the produce of what you're working on, the good harvest. The far, farmer is someone who shares first in the harvest. And Paul knew suffering, yet filled with unbounded joy and experiences of Christ. He says this is the pattern we are to grow in. And as a farmer, the hardworking farmer will get a share in the first of the harvest. So will the followers of Christ who press on and endure, who work hard for Christ, will share in the first fruits of Jesus Christ. He's using these examples of the soldier, of the athlete, of the farmer, so that we are encouraged to understand that this experience in life, which we see as true, is true for us as the church, the people of God, Christians. The experience of suffering is part of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. God works even through the suffering and for our blessing and his glory. For remember, it's in suffering God has what? Accomplished our redemption in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had to suffer on the cross, shed his blood, so our sins could be forgiven and we could be reconciled with God. We could have life eternal. That was only came through suffering. So as Christ is our example, we press on in the faith. God is the one who can accomplish good news even in these difficult and hard things through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in the suffering that bad news, that good news comes out of it. And we see that pattern. Things that we say, oh, that's terrible, that's bad. God brings good out of it. Christ's suffering, horrible, yet God accomplished the greatest work of all, our redemption through faith in Christ. The experience of suffering, that's a human experience, and it's true for us as followers of Christ in the church. Jesus, the founder of the church, Paul, his apostle, who brought the gospel to us, to the Gentiles, they suffered, so that can happen to us as well. Don't be shocked. Let us be those who face and press on, trusting in God, knowing that God can bring good through even suffering. Well, it's not only the experience of suffering, but there's enrichment through suffering. For we're tempted to say, well, is that really good news, Pastor? But remember Jesus Christ. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. When we say, Lord, this is too much, I can't do it, we think of Christ and remember what he did, endured for us, and how God brought the blessing of our eternal life through what Jesus did. We meditate on his life, his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his return to God, his present reign, his sovereign state, his promise to return, and that he's with us through his spirit. God has showed us through Jesus that death is the door to life and suffering the path to glory. That's why Paul says it's the reason that he's suffering, why he's in prison. Verse 9, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. God, But God's word is not changed in the midst of this. We see this around the world. You know, one of the things that we can always tell evil, godless dictatorships, countries like Russia, China, North Korea, and so many of them, is because they persecute the church. They restrain the believers of Jesus Christ. 
But praise God, even in that, God's word is not chained, Paul says. He experienced it, but he saw God's word working it, God's power at work in people's life so that we can grow, the church can grow and be built up and people can be redeemed. This is what God is doing. And Paul says in verse 10, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Therefore I endure. Paul says I'm willing to endure because it's bringing blessing. It's bringing redemption and salvation into your life. So I'm willing to do that. That's what God's called me to for others. Trustworthy, it's a trustworthy saying amidst the suffering, the difficulties of life. In the third chapter, it says this, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, will face hardships, will face opposition at some time. But God's help will be with us. This is important for us to understand. So when it comes our way, we don't give up, we don't run, we press on and we endure with God's help. For evil fights against the gospel. The devil, the evil one, is part of the reason we face these spiritual battles. But what do we find? We find the enrichment of suffering. For what do we see in verses 11 through 13? Here's a trustworthy saying. If, he, if we die with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot disown himself. So the good news is blessing comes through pain. Fruit comes through toil. Life comes through death. Glory comes through suffering. We see that there are these things, pain, toil, death, that's bad news. But the good news, blessing, fruit, life, glory, comes through often the bad things. God brings good out of it. One of the, one of the amazing things, I think a great analogy, is in the springtime. Is there anything that maybe one of the things we love about spring is the sap starts running in the maple trees. And, and those who have sugar bushes or maple tree farms and, and develop syrup, and, and a number of the churches I've been at, we've had people who have done that, and I've spent some time with them and seen what they've done. But you know, to get the, get the syrup from the trees, there has to be a cut. There has to be a wound in the tree. That's the only way you can get it. It's that wound or that cut where the, syrup, the, the sap comes out that is actually boiled under heat. Under boiling becomes that rich and wonderful maple syrup. You know, and then when you, when you eat that really good stuff, it's really hard to, to, to eat the bad, the, the regular stuff, isn't it? Anyone have that? Do you ever have a taste of the real stuff? It's like, oh, this is so much better. But it isn't an entry, it's through wounds. It's through heat that this comes about. This wonderful thing comes through difficulty, we could say. That's a great analogy for what happens in life, suffering for us. Under God's hand, the hardships, the experiences we have, God makes them useful and effective in our lives and also for his larger kingdom's work. For remember, we are in a battle on this side of heaven with Satan, with the evil one, to build God's kingdom. It's why we praise God for Rudy's pantry and ministries like that. Because they're fighting against evil. They're fighting against hunger, both physical and spiritual. And we as a church want to be involved in part of God's greater work. It's for his kingdom that the gospel, the good news, would be made known and would rule and reign. Deserters, those who give up, those who are lost, They'll be lost to the cause. But as we say to eternity, if we disown him, he will disown us. Those who say, no, God, forget it. I'm done. I don't want any of that. 
If we disown him, he'll disown us. But praise God, he is faithful even if we are faithless. So let us be those who realize that we can grow. That's the trustworthy saying, that if we die, we will live. If we endure, we'll reign with Christ. So the experience of suffering, the enrichment, and then for us, it's to embrace it. In other words, to be willing to accept it. Not that we want it, but to realize that if it comes our way, God will be with us to do his work, accomplish his, his kingdom's purposes in our life. I remember an, a brother when I was uh, on a missions trip in Africa. And Jonathan, an African brother, I met him in, in Turkey. And he recounted for me the tough times that he experienced, how he had to flee from his home country because of the persecution, the struggle he had. And he said this to me, he said, the times that were the toughest are the ones who gave me a clear view of God much more than the good times. I thought from someone who experienced it, what an insightful statement. In other words, embracing that suffering. As it says in Philippians, we say, I want to know Christ, yet to know the power of his resurrection. We like to stop there. And the participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Do your best, verse 15, to present yourself to God as one approved. One who presses on in the faith. One who will be with God forever. And as we want to know Christ, it's not only the power of his resurrection, but we'll share in the participation of sufferings like Christ, like Paul, like the apostles before us. So when we face hardships, let's not give up. Let's not give in. Don't be surprised by them. Don't retreat. Don't run away. Don't stay in bed with your head under the pillow. Don't avoid the church and Christians. But give it to the Lord and press on. For what does he say? If we die with him, we're going to live eternally with him. If we endure, we will reign. This is what God is calling us to. And as we live in this world, we don't know what the future holds whether this conflict in Ukraine will be limited or whether it will grow and become something much worse. We don't know, but we know the God who is control. And that God has painted a very clear picture of what the last day will look like. If you ever want to be encouraged, read Revelation 21 and 22. That's the end. God is victorious. And those who endure, who press on with him by faith, will enjoy eternal life in his glory. We are spiritual soldiers of Christ, working to build his kingdom, establish righteousness, peace, love, joy for all who are open to living in his kingdom and remove the territory from the enemy who wants to hurt and destroy. There, being engaged in battle, we're going to face some opposition, bad news. But praise God that the good news is he's victorious. And as we endure with him, we will reign with him. This is going on with the good news. Bad news, yes, but praise God, behind that bad news, there is good news of living for Jesus Christ. So don't give up when it becomes difficult. Don't ever abandon hope when trouble comes. But press on, knowing that Christ is with you through his spirit. So we never give up. We don't give in. We're not going to be surprised, and we will not retreat. We'll embrace the way of the Lord. That's why Paul says and starts his very chapter too. So then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace of Christ. Will we be a people, a church that presses on so that we would be known as those who stand strong for Christ in our lives and together as a community of faith no matter what comes 
so that God will use us to build his kingdom. As Paul teaches Timothy, he's teaching us. Let us remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended to David. That's the gospel, the good news for us now and forever. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you, the Lord, in a world of bad news. We have good news of Jesus Christ. And how you can turn suffering and difficulty into your work and into good for our lives and for eternity. Lord, give us the encouragement to always think on Christ, to press on and endure, to not give up. And Lord, to receive what you bring our way in, with your strength and help that you promise to always be with us and never abandon us. Thank you for this good news, Lord. May we see it as such in a world that's challenging, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.